When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Greetings, dear listeners. Welcome to another nostalgic edition of Acton Millwall. With me is my king of nostalgia, Mr. Holy Fuck, it's Dave. Collins, welcome back to the show, David. All right, Nick. <laughs> I, I thought of you. <laughs> I've been lining that. Well, how am I going to introduce David? How am I going to weave Greg Berry into this season? I don't know. Well, we don't think we can, but I did see um, a tweet, and I copied you in on on the tweet. Um, it was a replay of his moment of glory up at Nottingham Forest. But we we digress, dear listeners, from data, from um, Greg Berry to. Um, the point of today's show, which is the um, triumph and disaster and triumph again of 1984 to 85, the victorious centurions, as it's described in the James Murray Lions of the South book that I was reading just prior to the show. It was the 100th anniversary of the foundation of Millwall Football Club, and it was George Graham's greatest moment, Dave, I'd say, wouldn't you? Would you agree? Promotion? Yeah, I'd say so. It was, uh, you know, it was, a, 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 you know, one hand, it was a Really good year for uh, for me, all coming out the doldrums of the early eighties. Um, on the other hand, it was a, a bad year because of sort of like uh, football hooliganism raised its head, raised its head again. Although, in fairness, it was it was probably a really bad year for football in general. Actually, eighty yeah. in particular, for me personally, you know, it was um, my first real real proper season. I was a teenage boy, uh, went to virtually all the home games, uh, got my first away game under my belt as well. And I think because I'd supported Millwall from the early 80s, it was a defining year for me because up to this point, I was sort of teetering around, almost sort of giving up because I'd seen some absolute sort of garbage in the first few years. So yeah, this was the year that made me realise that I was definitely a, a Millwall fan for life, really. It's interesting because I mean I I started going in seventy two, and pretty much my first three or four years were were, were all down. They they were they were like the, the breakup of a great side, and then a gradual season by season demise into the third division. Um, similar to 
your story in a sense, because you started going in the late 70s when we were on the slide, and each season was what you thought it can't be any worse than the previous, and it was. Um, and then finally, there's a, there's a kind of like an illumination, which for you, 84, 85, for me, it was the 75, 76 promotion mm. season, because you, you're right, when you're, you're young, and I was what, at that point, 75, being about 14, 15-ish, you start to wonder why you're bothering going to football, because all you were doing was, was watching misery, you know, and, and a team failing. You must have had the same feeling coming into this season, that why are you bothering? What, what are you getting out of it? Yeah, I did. I mean, to be honest, I only had to walk 100 yards because I lived my back garden uh, sort of actually backed onto the uh, onto the seating area. I had to get a train. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really have an excuse. I mean, I was almost like destined to be a mule supporter. But, yeah, it was, you know, the year before was pretty decent. You know, uh, you could see things were, were making a yeah. turn. But I still didn't go into the season thinking, you know, that we were, we were going up. I thought we'd get better. I thought we'd probably be in the top half again. But yeah, it was the season for me that sort of changed my sort of outlook on uh, sort of Millwall and in, in the sense of, you know, it was, the, it was it's the year that I needed to be a Millwall fan for life, definitely. Yeah, as we all do at some point. I mean, just to, to touch on the previous show, I mean, this, this George Graham had been appointed in 1982 and had achieved the miraculous salvation of the club in the 82-83 season, saved us from Division 4. Um, the 83-84 season that followed was, I suppose it was a se- season of consolidation, really, David, at ninth place in, in the third division. Yeah. But as you've just touched on, some hopeful signs. The team looked like a Millwall team, one that wanted to play and... You know, had some spirit about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as well, and I'm sure we'll touch on it. The um, real good, solid squad. It was a, a real George Graham style team. You know, and as he went through to Arsenal, same same sort of team. Good goalkeeper, strong back four, workman like, uh, with um, a couple of good uh, strikers. In fairness, we probably had three or four good strikers. In we did. Yeah. I was looking through it earlier on, actually, just to, to brush up the old memory bank. And to have, by the end of the year, Steve Lovell, Kevin Bremner, John Fashionu, and the pe- one that people really always forget about, mm. Dean Neal, who was a yeah. really good player. And yeah. his strike rate at Millwall actually stands up against virtually everyone's, but just not, not, not a fan really... Um, I don't think Dean Neal was um, George Graham. Didn't like Dean Neal. I don't think. No, I mean the 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 Murray book, um, which is a fantastic book. But it, it refers in in passing to a personality clash. I mean, you can probably fill in the the, the, the dots yourself, and you know, uh, clearly George Graham didn't fancy Dean Neal, and brought in John Fashion, which was a critical signing for the season because this was very much a team. Started and finished the season, but it's very much in the image of what Millwall fans would want from their side. This was a, a full-on, physical, strong, and yet flair side as well. It's a really odd, very much a Millwall mix, wasn't it? This 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 brought all the attributes. This team, all the attributes, really st- physically strong. I mean, fash, what, who would not want Fash the bash up front? <laughs> real, real <laughs> strong striker. Two really. Good wingers, one probably a bit more mazy and trickery. So, you know, Olakowski, much more of a tricky winger. Lowndes was a little bit more workmanlike, but, you know, still good left left winger, really, for for, for us. And, um, you know, Steve Lovell, crikey, you know, I don't think you realise till after the event how many 
how good Steve Lovell was, considering he was a right back when he came to us. Well, I was going to touch on that because I mean, you know, we we, we keep we keep referring to the the um, I, I think the semi genius of George Graham because you're right, Steve. Lovell, 27 goals across all competitions, 21 league goals, which were critical in achieving promotion this season, but 27 across all competitions, was signed as a defender, was converted into a striker by George Graham. I mean, that's, to, to, to bring that kind of goal tally home is, is a real you know, mark of um, uh, inspiration, vision, whatever you want to call it, on the part of a manager to see that in a player, that potential. Yeah, there is also, um, and again, looking at the the little brush up earlier on. There, there is a record that goes around, and um, I, I wish I'd had a look beforehand. Now, it's to do with scoring in consecutive games. It's probably been blown out of the water by some exotic foreign player <laughs> in the Premier League, you know, but for, <laughs> for many years, there was a, I can't remember it was, but there was a guy touted, he may have played for Reading, I'm not sure, who had scored in 10 consecutive games, and that was a record. Or well, actually, Lovell scored in 11 consecutive games for Millwall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, never that will never be done again. So, you're right, George Graham did have a, you know, he did have an eye for a, either a signing or of converting players into other positions. But even, you know, we've just touched on Dean Neal, even if there was a, a personality clash or whatever you want to call it with the manager, he still brought in 14 goals that year in mm. many, many seasons. That's your top scorer. You know, it, 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 it's slightly in the shadow of Steve Lovell, Steve Lovell, but you've got Dean Neal on 14 and Kevin Bremen on 13. Very, very strong support, um, you know, to, to a leading goal scorer with others stepping up to the plate to, to give him support. So, um, no, a, a, a fantastic season. Um, it begins. I mean, I, I love this little. You get these little details when you, when you research a season and, and you forget stuff. And I, I actually didn't get to that many games this year for many reasons, which I don't want to go on to on here. But I didn't get to many games. But I, I, you forget stuff, nevertheless. I, I didn't realise we actually had a pre-season friendly against the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that stuff? I never did. Played played at a neutral venue, a neutral venue called Harlow. It's played in Harlow, a <laughs> pre-season game against the UAE, and thankfully we won it three-one, listeners. So that's good. <laughs> um, but wonderful. I mean, the kit was wonderful. I think it's an iconic kit that year as well, isn't it? That royal blue body with white sleeves and the LDDC logo across the shirts. It's one of those those. Um, iconic mill kits that I, I, I don't know why the club shop doesn't do it as a replica you know people would buy that I think if it was in there yes yeah, one of the, you know I'm not a big you know never really gone out and bought kits and all that no. but it's one of it, it's up there for me funny enough my, my first iconic kit you know a lot of times it's when you first start going so I quite liked do you remember the sort of Bucta one with the big flary collars and yeah, yeah, yeah. down the side? And yep. if you put it in the wash once, all the Bucta's, all the Bucta <laughs> uh, logos would come off, start flaking off. Uh, yeah, this this one was uh, a real iconic one. As actually, in fairness, was I thought the one the following season was it a Gimmer? The one that we started oh. off with one kit and we ended up with, with another one. They're like a white band across the middle, didn't they? <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, London, London Docklands. Had some good kits back then in the day. We did. I mean, you're right about the washing. I mean, I'm sure if you'd have washed this one, it become went from London DDs DC to just LC or something like that. <laughs> That would have been the, your sponsor. But anyway, some pre-season business um, out from the club went Dean White. 
Um, a very shrewd swap deal, Dave. Um, Andy Massey going to Aldershot and incoming Les Briley from Aldershot as a swapsy plus £20,000. I mean, that's that's a deal, I think. I mean, we, we touched on this in the previous edition we did, but that was a great deal, wasn't it, to acquire Briley for that, that paltry sum? Yeah, that was one of my, I think in, in the last podcast, that was one of my top five, that was. Uh, that was a great, great, great signing. Also, really good to uh, get shot of Paul. Paul Roberts probably as well. Yeah, I think he went <laughs> yeah. to Brentford. <laughs> Not everyone's a cup of tea. No, no, he 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 left us um, in a, in a worse uh, with a worse reputation. He arrived with us, but put it that way. But he left us. Um, also, uh, Lindsay Smith. I, I was always ambivalent about Lindsay Smith, but he actually formed a great defensive partnership this season with Dave Cusack, and as it's described in the in the, uh, the the James Murray book, it was one of the most watertight defensive partnerships since Kitchener and Tony Hayes in the 70s, and that's that's high praise. Um, but I, I don't know, I just found it hard to hard to love Lindsay Smith. I don't know, I don't know how else to put it. He's, he's never, just never, Cusack was, was kind of hewn from granite, but Lindsay Smith just had a kind of a wishy-washy quality to it, but he certainly formed a strong partnership there in, in central defence. Yeah, I, I, I think I've referenced before when, it's, it's tough on Lindsay Smith because, you know, he joined us and we got promoted in, one of probably our best seasons, you know, one of our top five seasons in probably 30, 40 years. But, you know, I think Cusack was such a man mountain and well-liked. That yeah, yeah. Was, and Lindsay, well, maybe, you know, his name, he was a bit wishy-washy, you know, a bit of a girl's name. Bit of a, <laughs> bit of, a... I think we reminds me of a bit, actually, and I think we touched on this before as well. You know, McCleary had this sort of, yeah. Think about and where he would, he could just, you could see him dancing in a field of <laughs> hay or something, you know. And Lindsay Smith, he wasn't made out of granite, was he? No, I mean, I, 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 I'd had no personal grudge against him. He just, I just don't know. He just didn't strike me as a, he, he didn't interest me as a middle player. And I, I, that is unfair. But when you do these shows, listeners, it's very much a personal reaction to, 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 to seasons, to players. And to situations, so this is what you get if you like it. Do your own show. Have a, <laughs> tell us about how brilliant the new France Beckenbauer Lindsay Smith was. But he certainly had a good season this year, so we've been a little bit unkind. Yeah, he, he, he did, and he also had the most wonderful blonde moustache that I can remember. <laughs> Porno as a style, wasn't it? it's like like the bloke that arrived with a pizza or the plumber that would turn up in these old school. The kids will not know what I'm on about. They don't have plots. Yeah, he actually, you can imagine him being um, probably like he would, he would have been a dandy in a in a, in a previous <laughs> like existence. Bo Brummel. <laughs> Well, I, never, I never thought of him like that. Um, um, interestingly, though, Nick, um, you know, uh, it's back in the day where I forgot that, you know, um, about when you used to sign um, players, tribunals would get involved quite well, regularly. Yeah, it was one of the things I picked up on. The tribunal set his fee. I mean, you don't, I don't think we have the tribunal anymore. I think it was abolished. You don't hear about it if it does exist. Um, but there was clearly a dispute of what was a fair price for Lindsay Smith, and that fair price was set at seventeen thousand five hundred pounds. It's quite quite a precise figure, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We probably uh, got five hundred pound knocked off for his tax. <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> I was going to say five hundred pounds there to be knocked off, as they used to say when you when you negotiate for <laughs> your house price. But anyway, um, player of the season. Unusual a promotion season for your player of the season to be the goalkeeper. Paul Sanson was our player of the season this this year. Um, 
Again, I mean, that might be unfair in Paul Sanson, but in the pantheon of Mill goalkeeping greats, so he wouldn't be a name that, that leaps into my mind. I mean, he's clearly a decent keeper, but he just doesn't make make an impact on you. But there he was, player of the season this in this campaign. Yeah, I like I quite like Paul Sanson, but I think that's because of the age that I was, and um, I can't really remember the the sort of the goalkeepers that you would know from the 70s. Yeah, My yeah. first memory was Pat Cuff. So, uh, <laughs> so to be honest, you probably could have stuck a matchstick man in the goal and I would have said he was half decent. So, no, um, it, I, I think as well, a lot of the times, it's what they do after Millwall. I, I, a good way I always think to define a Millwall player is what do they do when they leave Millwall? Not many players do better, which is quite bizarre yeah. considering you know who we are with all due respect you know a yo-yo in second third division team um i think samson went to he goes to south, south end, end. He, 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 yeah he, i mean oh. 100, 150 let me just check hang on 100 100 uh... 158 appearances for Mill, 1980 to 88. Then he went on to South End. I think he got about 300, 200 more appearances there at, at Roots Hall. So it's quite a substantial uh, player in their history for a long time as well. Um, it was interesting as well about the, the, the transfers in, Nick, because when you actually look at who we did sign, obviously Graham didn't fancy the end-of-year defence because you had uh, Bill Roffey and Hinchwood, who were both um, fullbacks, and, and Lindsay yeah. Smith. And three out of them four, along with Cusack, was the, the foundation of the back four for that year. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, the season begins with reasonable form for Millwall. Um, just having a look here at the, at the Millwall History site, which is a wonderful website, listeners, mill-history.co.uk. It's got the full details of every season going back to um, 1921, which is um, quite an extensive resource. But I'm just looking at this season here, I mean, we've, we've got some... Decent early season results there, Dave. We move up to by, by October, um, early October. We're third in the table before a League Cup, uh, two-legged League Cup tie against Chelsea, um, which um, I mean, again, I, I didn't, I didn't go to either game, unfortunately. But um, the James Murray describes it as as quite an attacking display, where we took the game to Chelsea and surprised them both. At Stamford Bridge and then back at the den again. We, although we got we lost over the two legs. Yeah, um, we drew at home, didn't we? Lost three one in the in the first. Lost leg. One, three one there and one all at home. Um, yeah, um, and um, we'd obviously play Chelsea a bit later on in that year. I'm interesting about one of the first early games and the, this year there was sometimes you have them seasons where one team are almost not even worthy of taking the field because they're that poor. Yeah. And this year, we had Cambridge United who finished bottom. They only won four games all season. And guess what? One was against us, which was <laughs> our first loss of the season. So, uh, you know, yeah. and I think from memory, we struggled with them later on in the year when we, we did beat them at home. We do have this knack of... Bogey teams. We have bogey Portland. teams. Yeah, Cambridge. I, I, I've never seen us play well against Cambridge, and um, it's a little bit like Wigan at one point. Tranmere. We never seem to play well against Tranmere either. Um, but you know, perhaps people now post um, you know examples where we have. But they're, they're, they're teams that kind of um, always feel awkward to play against, and Cambridge is one of those teams. One nil loss. I know that was notable for one or two arrests being made at the ground in the aftermath of. Um, away day shenanigans which we'll come back to later on in this particular season 
Um, as, as, as someone posted on, on Twitter, it was a great season on and off the pitch, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> very Millwall. It's on your point of view. Yeah, that's right. A very Millwall um, <laughs> viewpoint. But coming into um, the uh, the early part of October, as I say, we we are sitting well second actually after a great um, away win at Gillingham in early October. Four one win. Goals from Steve Lowndes. There's another name from the past. Um, Lovell, yeah. who would go on that. Um, 11 game streak, a 10 game streak, a, lo- a long streak of scoring regularly through the, you know, through through the for the games of uh, October and November. Uh, Cusack and Lindsay Smith um, contributing with goals there. That that was the first, or the biggest away win. That game, that 4-1 win, that was the biggest away win in 14 years, which gives you a slight sense of um, how Millwood struggled really over much of the 70s and, and the early 80s because that was our best away win. I think since 1971 at that point. So gives you a little bit of a sense of um, how difficult it was to be a Millwall fan in this in this era. As far as the as the league was concerned, it was it was it was steady pace though, wasn't it? I mean, we we actually went top in early November, a three 0 win over over Preston North End with uh, three late goals, uh, a level penalty, a Tulakovsky there. There's another great player, Anton Tulakovsky. And Lindsay Smith, um, a three-nil win to put us top of the table. So it was a it was a season of promise, and and you know the one or two little flickers across the season, but we were mostly contenders throughout the whole campaign, weren't we? We were. Uh, the results were good. We was uh, flying high, um, flirting with the top. Uh, Bradford were, were. We did have this little flirt around this time, the top of the league, but. Bradford's were pretty comfortable league leaders, uh, uh, you know, after after this point. But we had this little run where we uh, got first place. Interesting for me as well, looking back, were although still in modern times pretty poor, the crowds were just edging up. We were starting to get slightly bigger crowds this season as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, uh, only just, you know, five and a half, six thousands, but. That was coming from a low base of what two and a half thousand a couple of years yeah, earlier. On occasion, I mean, the opening day fixture against Swansea, which was a two 0 win, was a four thousand six hundred and fifty crowd at the at Coldwell Lane. So that's back in August. So by the time we go top of the table, um, which is three 0 win versus Preston, it's gone up to five thousand six hundred, which is still not brilliant, given that we're topping the, the third division, but. It's it's a it, it's a measure of advancement. And I think that was probably the story of George Graham's managerial tenure, really, Dave, from from the start of it in '82 to when he when he left us. Really, it was it was like a, 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 a gradual advancement, constantly moving the club forwards, and the crowd numbers gradually started to reflect that, didn't they? They did. Um, just back on Graham now, um, you could make a strong case, I suppose. In 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 the history that he's probably you could argue he's the best top three the best manager we've had you know he's yeah. certainly up there I think I always have a special place for Doherty clearly for obvious reasons but George Graham certainly paved the way for all them years that that followed them sort of glory years of either being in the top flight or being back in the second division thinking that we were. Uh, had chances of getting back up, um, so I think Graham, you know, takes a lot of lot of credit for really turning the club around 
Well, given the given given the lack of resources, he'd, he'd have been dealing with them. It's not like the club the club was flush with money after that. You know that lashing out on Trevor A. Lot or Trevor cost a lot, as I as I read, he was nicknamed <laughs> at the time. Trevor cost a lot. So it's you interesting know, uh, on that Nick. Though that I was on Arsenal's uh, one of Arsenal's fan fans uh, fanzines yeah. fan sites. They did a, a piece with George Graham and they talked about his early years and when he when he joined a club. And it was actually Alan Thorne's son uh, who uh, put George's uh, name in the, the ring right. as a candidate. Um, and we got George Graham for 20 grand a year. That is what he cost us. Which Did is he? Just, um, wow. Yeah, that's all it was, 20K. Um, wow. And after that season where he saved us, he, he sat down with Alan Thorne and said, I've drawn up a list of players that can do a job for us and I can get them all for a total of 200 grand. And almost straight off the sort of cuff, um, Alan Thorne's just given him the money. Go on then. Wow. Go and buy the players. And it was actually sort of wedged in there that one of the reasons the trust that they had clearly was that when it was always a sort of gentleman's agreement that if a big club come running for George Graham, we wouldn't... We wouldn't stand in his way, no. I mean, that would be honoured that the season after this, because obviously this would be his, his, his grandstand season, really, promotion and, and all that we've just touched on in terms of building Mill up from the low point that we'd fallen to. Um, and then Arsenal would come calling in the 85, at the end of the 85, 86 season. And that gentleman's agreement was clearly honoured. Um, and I think both parties must have shaken hands given, given that conversation, yeah. Dave. I, I wonder I how important it was that he had Theo Foley as well because Foley had been at Millwall in a previous stint hadn't he he was assistant manager previously so he knew a bit about the club yeah Foley I think had managed Charlton in his time um, back in the 70s and also was assistant manager to um, was it Jago? Was he Gordon? Did Gordon Jago? I think it might have been Jago yeah yeah. and then as you say he came back with um with George Graham, and, and he's been involved on and off many, many times over over the years. And I, I'd imagine, I, I don't know either, either of the men involved, but I'd imagine that, um, you know, you need you need a kind of um, an austere manager who would take the, the hard decisions, and then you need a man to put your arm, his arm around your shoulder and do the talking. I guess that's the respective roles of Theo and Foley and, and George Graham, I would imagine. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, um, but certainly, he's, he's, you know, you're right. He's a great servant to Millwall. In fact, he's, he's a name that really gets mentioned, actually. It's, it's quite nice to do these shows, just to acknowledge these mm. lesser-known players in the in the drama because Theo Foley very rarely gets mentioned, actually. And it's, it's quite nice to be able to to acknowledge his role because he, he was also part of this of this wonderful season that we're, yeah, we're talking well. about. You're listening to Achtung Millwall. Um, so yeah, I mean, just as a measure of, of, of our advancement, we had, we had a home game against Chelsea um, in the League Cup, which we drew one on that exited the competition. But that was uh, the biggest crowd for some years at Mill, eleven thousand one hundred eighty-seven for that. So five figures at last after many, many years of very low crowds indeed. And um, that would that would continue. I mean, we coming into Christmas, uh, we are now slightly off, not not quite contending, but. Third place, fifth place, sixth place after a little bit of a wobble um, over the Christmas period, but certainly promotion was on our mind at that point, wasn't it? It was it, you felt all season that 
promotion was a, a realistic aim and, and something that could be attained by this team uh, with the spirit and skill that they were showing. Yeah, definitely. And when you, you go back and um, do a bit of homework, it's interesting how things aren't exactly as, 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 you, as you thought they were. Is because I had this memory of that year where we were almost constantly in third place with Hull and uh, Bradford yeah. above us. Now, actually, towards the back end of the year, we did spend a probably a couple of months in third place. But I just had this feeling that around Christmas time, from that point on, we was almost always tracking third place, just keeping our head in the automatic promotion uh, slots. Um, obviously, no playoffs back then. Uh, but interestingly, we did have that dip where, uh, you know, around Christmas time, early January, had the dip. Only dropped to seventh, I will believe. But I can't remember that. For me, we was always sort of like third, fourth, but yeah, we 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 never we didn't really have a bad spell that season, in in, in typical meal sort of fashion where we, uh, I know you've referenced it a few times in the past. But Millwall's like a joyride, and it's like either hell for leather or it's yeah. It's a you know, we we win on adrenaline, and you know we lose when we don't have adrenaline really. But no, so with the passage of passage of time, you do forget. I mean, for me, if you had said to me eighty four, eighty five season, the one the first names that leaps into my mind is John Fashion who up front Fash the Bash you know the the, the kind mm. of physical great striker um, strong pacey the, the, the full John pa- Fashion who package but he actually made his debut halfway through the season so you know the early part of the season didn't feature John Fashion who at all he actually made his debut in a in a loss uh, bolting away just at the start of this little dip coming into Christmas yeah. and he got beat up there 2-0 um by all accounts, he flattened the goalkeeper and he's one of his early challenges and left him, um, you know, prostrate on the floor. So an immediate, immediate hit with the, with the Mill supporters for that. But anyway, that was the start of a, um, a little bit of a, a poor run of form coming into the new year. Um, and then we have the kind of, we have a, t- a twin track to the season in, in 1985 because we've got like a cup run. And we also have league form, and normally one impacts on the other, doesn't it? Normally, the, the uh, to have a cup run in Millwall um, history, it normally leads to a tailing off of league form. But this this season, actually, uh, Graham again will keep praising him, but he got, he got us consistent in the league, and we've won the you know won the major cup runs of, of Millwall history into the quarterfinals in the end. Um, it's unusual, unusual for us to to maintain those two things at once. Yeah. Um... It's quite normal that seasons don't really get underway until Christmas and New Year's out the door. You know, around December, you get a feel for for where you are, I think, as a a team. You know, we played everyone once and you have an understanding. And, you know, I think that when we got into this second half of the season and being 13 as well, it was such an exciting season because you had the cup run and... We was looking at promotion and having been going there since late 79 and just seeing dross and defeats, <laughs> 2,000 crowds and Christ knows what else. You know, this was actually sort of really, you know, something like a bolt out of the blue. It was like, it was like being on drugs, you know. All of a sudden, <laughs> seeing a Millwall team who, who were good, I ain't seen that ever in my life. No, no. And I mean, you would have had the same as you say back in the seventies. Yeah, it's, it, you never forget it. A life this season, really, all around that 
one game and I, I vividly remember the game against Palace at home because I didn't go to that Chelsea home game in October. I remember seeing a crowd, you know, 11,000, which again, sounds like nothing nowadays, but it was 11,000. Oh, very rare event. Yeah. I didn't even know what that could look like. No. Um, We actually can't really no homework on this at all, just off of memory. I can't think that we had played particularly well, but I do remember Dean Neal scoring late. I thought it was later than 88th minute. And to me, that game really sort of brought the season to life that uh, against Palace in the FA Cup third round. FA Cup third round, so home game in the in the Cup, um, 8th of January, 1985. As Dave says, it was one all draw with an 88th minute equaliser by Dean Neal following a goal for Palace from Mahoney. I think that's his uh, 20, 26 minutes. So they've been leading for the bulk of the game and we've equalised late. There's no better adrenaline rush than the late, late equaliser against Crystal Palace to stop them from progressing in the FA Cup. But then it gets better, kids. Um, We then go to Selhurst Park, uh, uh, (laughs) a place that we always love to go. And... um, a 2-1 win in front of just 10,000. These are, these are far-off days, aren't they? 10,000 at Crystal Palace for the, the, uh, the replay, 23rd of Jan. Um, and we won it. Goals from Les Briley in the 25th minute and Steve Lovell um, on 66. And there's a familiar name, actually. I don't know if you saw who scored for Crystal Palace that day as well there, Dave. Did you see the name? Oh, the Sam second Tosser. minute, Sam Tosser, probably Mr. Costalot himself. <laughs> Trevor Aylott opened the account, and that I didn't get to this game, but I can only picture the amount of um flack that he would have drawn. Um, Mr. Costalot, Trevor Costalot. It's is. interesting as well that we actually had a larger crowd at home than the Nigels got at their ground as well. Different times, different days, different yeah. times. Obviously, women and middle-class people uh, not going to football back then. <laughs> or the ultras. They didn't have any ultras back or the then. Ultras. Or, or their various um, on-trend groups that followed them. Um, so, yeah, so we progressed 2-1 against Palace. League form also starts to kick in, though, Dave, doesn't it? I mean, new, from a, new, a win over Newport County at home, 2nd of Feb, 1985. 3-0, 2-0 win, sorry. Over over Newport, um, sparks a run of one, about eight or nine wins in a in a row, including cup games, admittedly, but really good run of form across uh, late yeah. January and early and February. You know that really took control of the season. We did. We started to pick up form, and also slap bang in the middle of that fourth round FA Cup away at Chelsea. Um, now I didn't go to that one. But my dad did, and uh, what does he tell he, you of the night's proceedings? Well, <laughs> he, he used to he he was he used to hang around with a group of blokes who were. <laughs> I'm getting a picture. Yeah, is a, a, a story in it. I won't go into this story, but they they were they were interesting blokes. Let's put it that way, and. Because he used to work for he used to work for Lewisham Council, and they were they used to contract into him, and he sort of knew them through work. And they were all ten years younger than him. Interesting people. In fact, one of them owned a very dodgy boozer in New Cross. And <laughs> he came back. I can remember next morning getting up, and he was over the moon. Now it's probably a combination of 
what happens in the grounds, possibly what <laughs> shithousery happens outside the grounds. Who knows? I very rarely saw my old man more animated about a game than that FA He's, uh, he's obviously had something special in that dodgy boozer as well, just to add to his add to his night out. Is a, a wonderful. I mean, James Murray describes it for the listeners as a night of heroics and drama, and I think there's much built into that phrase: night of heroics and drama. It's a three-two and famous, famous win for the Lions at Chelsea. Who I think were a first division side at, at this point. Um, so the story of the evening's proceedings is that um, we went ahead on, in the 17th minute for a Steve Lovell goal, 17 minutes. Um, Chelsea then took the lead. I think we took the lead into, into half-time, but then Chelsea pulled ahead uh, through one Nigel Spackman. There's a name that will come back to haunt yeah. us later on in, in life, though. Um, 53rd minute, Spackman scores, one all. Then 2-1 Chelsea through Paul Cannaville in, in the 58th minute. But then, as, as James says, it's a night for heroics and drama because Fash equalised, made it two each, um, and then unbelievably went ahead. A Steve Lovell penalty made it 3-2. But the drama wasn't complete because, um, you know, you, I'm skirting over a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of people could tell some very colourful stories of this night because games against Chelsea back in the 70s and 80s were not the... The, the Premier League version of Chelsea that you might find there now, Dave. You know, this 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 was a much rawer experience. <laughs> you, you this don't... is where not having telly as well actually adds to the folklore and the glamour of it because yeah. there is no footage of this. There's no footage of this night. No, it's like the Sex all. Pistols gig. No one, no, every, no, everyone's heard of it, but no, no one can see it, you know. Um, other than my old man, I know two other people who went to the game and they talk about this game like <laughs> it was, it's almost one of the greatest games they've ever seen. It's like, like a lifetime story. moment, isn't it? You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it was probably an epiphany. Right, you know, <laughs> games against Chelsea, uh, Chelsea and West Ham, you know, it, uh, you know, well, we, we've we, watered down a little bit these days. I think everyone can say that, but yeah. You know, I, and this I, was this was the old well, Stamford Bridge, which was a much yeah. rawer experience as a ground. You know, it was it was not the glamorous version. Big crowd as well. Big crowd as well, Nick. Yeah, um, but the drama was not complete because even though we've gone ahead through Steve Lovell, Chelsea um, obtained a penalty against the run of play. I read. Um, I wasn't there this night, unfortunately. I couldn't make it, but um, Speedy. David Speedy, a man of some, um, who would draw a lot of comment when he, whichever team he turned out for, he would draw comment, um, and it wasn't pleasant comment. But he managed to put the penalty wide, and um, the Lions had gone through at the uh, at Stamford Bridge. And as as you said, Dave, I mean that you know anyone that was there talks about little else once you get them onto the subject of the night we beat you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, 
and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to Achtung Millwall. Um, so that was the fourth round time. So we progress. Um, and as we've said a few times, I mean, the thing to keep in mind is, although we're talking about the cup heroics, the league form was consistently good. We were winning games on the road and at the den. And actually, we pulled ourselves up to our second position um, with a win over York City in March um, at home in front of 7,500 at the den. So crowd's still not fantastic, but better. Yeah. Just one other thing about the, um, the Chelsea game. I could... Because it was a, it was an odd game. It was a Monday night as well. Yeah, I don't know why that was. A bit postponement or something. Or? Uh, probably. And interestingly, as well, looking through the fixture list, um, two two games later, we're back in the FA Cup again. Yeah, um, yeah. That's... Home to Leicester. Leicester. City and, yeah. My God, uh, you know, I'd, I. <laughs> yeah, I'm skirting over the Leicester game, aren't I? This is this is a professional show. This is I'm skirting <laughs> over the Leicester game. <laughs> a month Which, earlier, I'd seen the biggest crowd I'd ever seen. Uh, 15,000. Alice, and then all of a sudden, wow, look at that crowd. Uh, uh, that actually, I'll, do you remember when I think the first season in the top flight, we we had a, a, a ridiculous, ridiculously big crowd that was not reported correctly. I think it was home against Liverpool on a Tuesday night. I, I'd never been to a crowd. Massive, there. massive crowd. I, I, no, I... I that's, that's a huge crowd. I don't know how many were in the den. It wasn't the, I think they reported 22,000, but it wasn't because you, you just couldn't get into the stadium. You couldn't get in, could you? No, no. And, and, and this year, it weren't on that level, but this was one of them crazy old night games you got yeah. at the den with a massive crowd. Um, I mean, Leicester were a top, uh, top. Gary Lineker was playing for them. They were a decent Lineker, team. I can remember, yeah, yeah. young Lineker playing for them at the time. That was a good game, that Leicester game. Kept very quiet by Dave Cusack that night. Um, the game would finish as a 2-0 win for the Lions. It was a wonderful night. Goals from Fash on the, in the 44th minute. And then a, a rare goal. I suppose if you're going to score, then make it a big game. Alan McCleary pops yeah. up to score a goal in the 79th minute and take us past Leicester in front of 16,000, not 15. My eyes are playing me up. 16,160 at Cold Blow Lane. Um, and you're right, Dave. I mean, it, it's... It was a, it was a very special stadium on big night games. It was against big, tasty opponents. It had an electricity that is very hard. I mean, I suppose you, you, I think we still achieve it as Amper Road. I think we do yeah. achieve it. I, I, I think we 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 belittle sometimes older types like your, yourself yeah. and upwards belittle it at the, at the expense of Cold Blow Lane. But with this, it's still there. It's still real. There's a very special electricity to these big situations. Definitely. Um, we, we still generate it when we have the real big 
big games, big crowds, 100%. We do at the new at the new place. We were just talking off air before we started this show. I'm going to leap wildly away from the point of today's show now, listeners. But we're just talking about the run in the the re- resumption of football and <clears throat> um, obviously the loss of, of of home advantage with the remainder of the fixtures. Um, and I wonder, Dave, whether whether you agree with me that sometimes the the manic almost you can almost touch the electricity in the air. I mean, I'm thinking back to. For example, the last time I remember it recently was against Everton when you could walk into the ground, you could tell there was something, you could always reach out and touch the kind of atmosphere. And sometimes that can be overwhelming for some Millwall players as much as the opponents. And I'm wondering whether, I'm thinking probably it's this name names, I'm thinking of the Conor Mahoney, I'm thinking of the Jury Skalax, without the pressure of the crowd, might have a chance to show what they can do. It'd be wonderful if they could. No, nah, you're just making excuses, Nick. I got slated for being unkind to Jerry. <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, and actually, that Leicester game there is a great example because I do remember, and Linick has talked about it since actually that particular game. But we had a big team come we down, did. Yeah. and then they froze a bit like Leicester actually did recently yeah years later yeah 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 um we do have and but you're right it must affect our team as well you must affect our players we must have had a a litany of players over the years who actually probably just couldn't handle it and were actually good players but on they looked terrible for us it's that catchphrase of a Millwall type player. Some players feed and thrive on it. Fashion, who loved it, didn't he? I mean, oh, this, he yeah. was a man that loved that kind of stuff. And we can all name check the players that loved it and those that couldn't handle it. And that will be a different show, I think. Maybe that's another idea for a different, a different <laughs> podcast another day. Um, well, ten bottle jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there we are. But um, some, some can't deal with it. We, we move along through the season. So we are sitting second after that 1-0 win over York City on the ninth. Then we come to a, oh, a disastrous night in many respects. I think you've got to call it what it is, which is the, the quarterfinal game at Luton Town up at Kenilworth Road. Um, a 1-0 loss, although the result probably was, was um, secondary to events before, during and after the, after the game. Um, did you go to that game there, Dave, up at, up at Luton? That was my first ever away game for me. <laughs> first away game. <laughs> welcome, welcome to away travel. <laughs> um, I can remember my old man getting tickets and uh, we got a coach from the Archer. It was either the Archer or the Duke of Albany. One of them pubs. We got the coach up and, uh, yeah, just almost just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Got back on the coach, got home, went to school the next day. Gave it large to all my mates about fucking Millwall, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you're 13, honestly, it was just uh, you know, it was probably surreal for people who were, you know, much older than me. But as a 13 year old boy who'd never been to a away game, yeah. only ever seen football at the den, to stand there and just watch what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I thought, and I, because I, I. I my brother and I drove round um, on the night, went around the M25 and up the M1, parked in Luton. Um, I, I thought it was paid on the day. I, I, I can't... I, I, ticket, I, fuck no, I, I'm sure anything went. It was one of those anarchic nights. I, I, I don't remember getting tickets, so I said to him on the day, I said, fancy going to that later, and, you know, let's go and watch it. So we did. 
and it was just i mean mayhem doesn't do do the day justice it was just anarchy wasn't it It it's like the breakdown of law and all it's like like a science fiction film really i got in now before the turnstiles got trashed because i do (laughs) remember actually doing something normal that was it we walked in there was no there was no that was it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you must have got there quite not late well, but we got there, me we got um, there late yeah because yeah. we didn't get the, we didn't get the loot and I, I said oh put your foot down we did, yeah. was doing a ton up up the M1 um, it was, it was <laughs> I think we parked about 20 to 8 somewhere yeah. and it was a 745 kick off you know I remember getting there and doing something normal, like, you know, giving your ticket to a man. And <laughs> So I went through a turnstile and I can remember, I got there and it was pretty early because there weren't many people in the away end. So me and, me and the old man standing there, like leaning on one of the old crush barrier things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it didn't actually get that busy. And then almost, and obviously didn't know standing there that, we trashed the turnstiles. Um, I mean, literally, the space of 10 minutes, it really filled up, really filled up quickly, which in hindsight, of course it would do if people are just going through with that tickets. Um, yeah, and from, and I, you know, you know, over time, you know, myths evolve and all It's been mythologized, isn't it? Yeah. But, I can remember, and I might well be wrong on this. Now I was standing really pretty much behind the goal, and the first people who jumped over were sort of to the right of me, towards a corner flag, near where it all eventually did. Yeah, up. in the seating yeah. area, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the first few people who went over, I'm pretty certain they went over to stop getting crushed, and it wasn't the first jump over wasn't like a, a jump over uh, to, uh, to uh, like a leery one like yeah no i i, I mean we as, as i said we, we got there like i think the game was in progress by the time we strolled in but you couldn't see a thing i mean I, we were at the back of a uh the top of the terracing that i mean it's an absolutely awful ground i've never liked kenilworth road and i no. don't I, if i can avoid going there i do even now i don't like it um you're right about, I mean, I couldn't see, you could tell it was it was packed, although we were right at the very back. We could barely see. I mean, you could tell there was a football game going on in the distance, but there's, there's no way you could see any of the action. I couldn't tell you a thing about the goal or, you know, any of it. Um, and when, the, the, I remember people jumping over, which I thought, I wonder whether it was that they were getting crushed down, because it was just stupid. I mean, you couldn't, there was people everywhere in a very small um, terraced area, old school terraced area. And then it kicked off in in the seats, and the rest of it is is is, is history um, during and, and after the game. Um, and it's it's interesting because I was reading in in the James Murray book. I mean, the FA obviously came down with like a ton of bricks on on Millwall in the aftermath of it all. Um, the the TV footage is regularly replayed, even to this day. Actually, I think every now and again it'll appear on on some analysis of the of the football hooligan scourge of the nineteen eighties, and it's become this kind of iconic. Bit of footage, the, the, the kind of yeah. spinning spinning of the orange seats like frisbees, weren't they? You know, and the chasing of the police off, off of the pitch, um, and then the, the counter charge back. Um, but certainly, we paid a, a, a heavy price the seasons after. I think we were, was it all made all ticket? All um, ticket, weren't it? I think the year after because I didn't go, I don't think I hardly went at all the season because you had to go and get a ticket for each game, and I think that was you a consequence. That's right, yeah, consequence of this. Um, and that that was that was that was the punishment. I think our crowds, did, you know, plummeted, and that probably, possibly, who knows, 
um, helped um, persuade George Graham to move along at, at the end of the following season. Who knows? Yeah, um, look, at the end of the day, right, it's, is what it is and it was terrible but you know let's 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 get a couple of things straight it was massively overcrowded whether or not we oversold Luton oversold tickets or because of the sort of turnstiles got got smashed down it was too many people behind a goal definitely you know that could have been sort of like the first disaster you know absolutely you wouldn't be talking about Hillsborough you'd be talking about Kenilworth Road potentially I agree and it could have been that and then also as well I do and again, this is just from, from memory that I'm, I'm pretty certain that there were people there who were in the Mill End who weren't Mill supporters, but they were supporters of other London clubs who just thought that, you know, there's every chance it can all kick off and wanted to be part of it that night, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 and again, I I've always been someone who's thought that it's easy and, you know, politicians, I mean, Thatcher, you know, in some respects, you know, couldn't wait for something like that to then sort of like put the fucking boot in. But ultimately, when you get violence like that level, that is a social problem. That ain't a football problem. You know, that is something's wrong with society. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um and, and you know, it was it was it was part of the of the fabric of the times. This this although it became famous, um it's probably famous really because the T V cameras were there and they caught the, the footage and and um, you know, as ever, Millwall is always a, a convenient coping, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I always hated, fuck, really fucking detested David Pleat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <When> <laughs> really you, fucking. He always had the look of a. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to delete that libel out of the, of, the, of, the, of the show. I'll put a bleep there so people can read into whatever whatever they want as to what we think of David Pleat. But I make you right there. Um, <laughs> There we are. Millwall got that was the end of the cup run. Um, we yeah. won't dwell any further on the on that. This actually is a there is a happy ending. So that was we, we said at the start triumph and disaster, and then triumph again because the season, despite um, events that might have might have knocked a lesser team off of their stride, actually it didn't. Um, we continue with our good form, really. I mean, one or two losses here and there, but. Um, the team kept kept their eyes on the prize there, Dave, didn't they? They kept focused. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting that you'd think that it would have a knock-on effect on the club, you know, the, on, of the non-playing staff. You think some of the playing staff, because obviously probably RDN of them are mere all supporters, they probably would have thought, what's the fucking point? Mm. You know, um, but no, we, you know, we come away from that loot and disaster and then... You know, we, we keep up the, the momentum, you know, fourth. And then once we hit third, we sort of stay in the promotion uh, places um, most of the way through there. I mean, one of the interesting things I've just picked up on is we had a little dally as well, because not only did we had, um, we had a little go at the, I think it was the Freight Rover trophy back then. Yeah, um, we did, yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. Uh, Neil Ruddock scored. I forgot Neil Ruddock actually played. He actually played a part this season. And, and Sheringham, which I, 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 yeah. I'd forgotten. He's, he's actually named in the, let me find it whilst I, Teddy Sheringham. He, he made one um, substitute appearance, but there he is. And and as you say, Neil Ruddock, I, I'd forgotten that he played any any part in the in in in, in this particular season. But there he, there he is. Um, and as you say, I mean, you know, we, we stay focused. We, we come into April, the crucial month of April, when it can go wrong or it can go right. And and we really hit some form um, 
sorry, in May, end of April, we're then going into May, sorry. Um, we draw against Burnley on the 27th of April, placed third, one all, and then one, two, three, four straight wins um, leading up to Plymouth Argyle at home on the 11th of May in front of 13,400, um, where we secured promotion um, to the to the second division. Conclusion of a great season. Um, Cusack penalty and then a Steve Lowndes goal um, late in 70 to 72nd minutes. And um, it was a marvellous achievement when you think where we'd been, the the hurdles of the likes of Luton and, and, and the many other financial issues that played the club. And to, to, to pull that off in the face of such um, so many opportunities to, to fail, so to speak, was a massive achievement, Dave. I mean, I, I, just rereading it all, you think, wow, that was a major, major triumph for George Graham and Mill Football Club that season. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think considering the low base of where we came from at the start of the 80s, you know, by the middle of the decades to basically have got promoted, and arguably, I think, one of the... Well, one of the best 11s we've had, you know, definitely when you reading off the names of Lovell, Fashion, O'Neill and Bremner, who we haven't even mentioned, no, you'd be no. struggling to find another, you know, you probably got to fast forward a number of years until you got the Ray Sheringham, Carter and Malcolm Allen top four. You know, we don't really have many times when we have four real quality uh, and that's without the two wingers as well. We had a really good team back then in this year. We did. You know, so we we come a long way in a short period of time. We did. I, th- I thought really, really good year. Really good year. Yeah. Let's read through the the, the team that won promotion. It was a two 0 win at home to, to to Plymouth, played on the eleventh of May. Um, that was had uh, goalkeeper Paul Sansom, Keith Stevens who played a was a regular feature across the the season. Rhino. Um, yeah. Hinshelwood, Paul Hinshelwood. Yeah. Uh, Doris. Doris. <laughs> Les Briley, um, Lindsay Smith, Dave Cusack, Steve Lowndes. Um, as you said, I mean, the, the wing play was, was critical. You had to give the, the strikers needed service. And, um, you know, they, they, they were supplied with, and, and then some by, 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 the, by both Lowndes and, and, and a Tulakovsky uh, fashion, who Chatterton, Kevin Bremner, um, and then Tudorkovsky, and then on on the bench um, that day was Dean Neal. Um, some great names, um, great achievement for Millwall Football Club, and it's. It, I mean, even even this far removed now, it's still one of those landmark seasons in the club's history because of the journey that I think that that we made from the low points to promotion back to the second division. Even though we would start it with a handicap yeah. of, you know. Um, ticket restrictions and, and therefore low crowds and um, I think we had a difficult couple of seasons in the second division I think there was a chance that um, you know we, we would fall back to them from whence we came um, although eventually it would lead on to the triumph of promotion in the end but this was very much a <clears throat> a, a baseline and it put us back into 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 the, into the second tier and um, huge achievement um, for George Graham who would then go on to leave us for Arsenal and uh, some success there, I believe, at Arsenal. Oh, definitely. A couple of anomalies <laughs> that here as well, where Alan McCleary, that a lot of people probably don't remember, actually started off as a midfielder. Played yeah, a few games was, in midfield that year. 
he would he would um, shuttle between defence, although he became in the end a defender, which I think probably was his best position. And I, I you know, I take the Mickey out of him and his and his poetry running through the fields of corn and all the rest of it. But he was a decent defender. He actually played for England B with um with Herlock in the end, didn't he, in the late eighties? So, yeah, he did. So I that's mean, a measure of his of his yeah. um, man of the man, you know. And the other thing as well, a few games that year from one of your uh, uh, favourites, Nicky Coleman. Nicky who you'd like to, uh, <laughs> he made a few appearances that year. I, I, I Probably got mind. loads of fucking stick and well deserved. <laughs> <laughs> Never minded Nicky Coleman, but some people actually loathed and despised him. Oh mate, um, yeah, it's interesting when you scan the the list of names. There, Darren Morgan, little Darren, made an appearance. Um, there's one or two names in there. Michael Marks, um, a substitute, a non-playing yeah. substitute. There's some you know names for the future and names that would. Um, Achieved great things, not with Michael Marks, but um, certainly Sheringham, Stevens, Briley, um, and, and others across the season. What about um, you? Who, who on earth was Pat Gordon? He, he passed me by. Just two appearances for Pat Gordon, and I don't remember a thing about Pat Gordon. <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things when you do these shows is you think, who was he? I don't remember him. And he played in t- in games and times, but he probably would have remembered or have been there, you know. But I can't remember Pat Gordon. Um, no, I would have had a lot of money as well. If someone said to me, did Darren Morgan ever play in the 84-85 season, I would have got no way. No way. Did, I would have thought Darren Morgan would have been about 15. <laughs> he always looked young. He? <laughs> yeah, he, he played one game that year as well. So, um, yeah, it was um, interesting about it as well. Obviously, um, Sansom and Peter Wells, who only played a, a couple of games. Three games, season. yeah, three games, yeah. But if you add them two games up, we actually played 61 games that season, which yeah. I would like struggle to think we have played 61 games, more than 61 games. It's a workload, then, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, the FA Cups had replays, League Cups had two legs. But it'd be interesting yeah. to know if we've played more games than that ever in a season. That is, that a, is question. a shift. That is, that is a shift. That's one for the statos that are listening. If there's any statos listening into the show, did we ever have we ever played more than in the modern era more than 61 games in a season? That is a huge workload, actually, when you stop and think about it. Given that this is third division clogging football a lot of the time, that's that's a big, big physical ask of a of a, of a squad. We would finish second this season, listeners. Um, Bradford topped the table uh, with uh, eight, 94 points, top of the table, champions. Um, I did read that uh, George Graham was disappointed not to have won the championship himself that season, but obviously we settled for promotion in second position. Um, they won 90 points. Um, no defeats at home. No defeats at home and critical to the form was what might sound like average away form, but it was a huge turnaround in away form. Like eight wins. That's probably the... <laughs> eight don't sound a lot, Nick, right? But obviously you you lived the... the, yeah. the the years of the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah. I would imagine there would have been years, probably three years, if we wouldn't have got eight wins collectively. Uh, well, uh, that's, that's the point. And uh, I can't remember, I read it in, in, in the James Murray book, but there was something in the previous three seasons or two seasons, we'd barely scraped two wins or three wins or something. You know, it was, it was, it was some silly statistic. So we returned what some might see as average away form, eight, eight wins, seven draws and eight losses. Um, but but that was the crucial thing. That's what turned the season because 
at Millwall with 18 wins at home and five draws. That's what you call home advantage. <laughs> um, but without the away form to team it up with... Um, Only 12 goals conceded at home as well in 23 games. Well, this is why I feel so unkind slagging off Lindsay Smith in our earlier early part of the conversation because just 12 goals, 12 home goals conceded at Colblow Lane all season. Uh, alongside Dave Cusack, um, we can't give all the, we can't give all the credit to Dave Cusack. So I probably should reevaluate my my view of of Lindsay Smith. To be honest, Nick, it probably shows we know shit because you've slagged off Lindsay Smith in a previous podcast. I've said Pauline Shawwood was dog shit, and that's two of the back four who only conceded twelve goals all season at home. I don't even know why you're listening to the show, listeners. That's that's probably the appropriate moment to say thank you to Dave for. Um, his input on today's 1984-85 triumph and disaster and triumph again season. Big thank you to Dave. Thanks for joining me, mate. Uh, no problem. Appreciate we'll, it. we'll think of some other obscure um, version of, of the great Mill 11s. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with some other obscure as, as the, uh, the remainder of the season continues. Do you fancy us to, to do well in the remainder of the, the behind-closed-door season, Dave? I think we've got an outside chance, definitely. A lot of it's going to boil down to um, probably keeping certain players fit. What what I'm going to find quite interesting is almost home and away form counts for nothing because there's going to be no crowds. No such thing. That's right. That'll be interesting. And also, we're playing some teams who really haven't got anything to play for. So, will they be bothered? Are they going to be on an extended summer holiday? So, be interesting. Fingers I like crossed. to think we've got a chance and that if we have, we're, uh, you know, in 30 years' time, when COVID comes back, we can do a, a season's best of the 2019-2020 season. I'll be, I'll be nearly 90 by that stage, so <laughs> whatever podcasting looks like then, I don't know, but we'll, we'll find out, no doubt. Big thank you to Dave Collins for joining okay. me on today's show. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you for listening to Acton Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. A river dirt Millwall. Till next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.